You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my two co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Boys, we have a great show on tap tonight. A little bit of positive Maple Leaf news. We have a Maple Leaf great and Alex Bishop on the show this, uh, this week as our guest. Looking forward to that interview. It'll come a little bit later. But first off, how are you guys doing, Alex? Let's throw it over to you right away. Well... Um, as it's sort of become a trend on Sundays when we record, I had ball hockey tonight, had my best, I, I had, I had the definition of a stat padding night tonight. We had, there was only five, five players per team. And I had, I potted a nice four Austin Matthews, four goals and go. two apples. So a little bit of Mitch Marner in there as well. And then a little bit of Michael Bunting because I am sore as a motherfucker right now, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, it, it was, it was a good game. It was definitely, definitely tested my lungs because we, uh, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but yeah, we only had five players on each team. So, um, there was, there were no breaks tonight. It was just about a half hour of uh, consistent running back and forth. Um, but Hey, for, uh, um, without a doubt, my best game in uh, division 12 men's ball hockey in Niagara. So here we go. Uh, we improved to, uh, I believe three and nine on the season right now. So our, our team's seen better days, but good. Lucky for us. We're a participation trophy kind of league and every team makes the playoffs. So we're just gearing up for when the games matter and then we'll turn it on. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Division 12 men's ball hockey. Alex Hobson, the star tonight with uh, with four point or four tucks and two assists. There you go. I didn't. I didn't even know that there were twelve to twelve divisions. <laughs> I was this whole time. I was under the impression that we were like division four or something like that. And then I went on the website. There are twelve of them. And ironically enough, after division twelve, there's a division twenty two, but there's nothing in between. Jesus. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that division twenty two is or what. But yeah. It's like it's like when buildings uh, jump over uh, floor thirteen, right? Like you just oh. you go from twelve to fourteen. <laughs> there's no thirteen, number. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, except in this case, the numbers numbers thirteen to twenty one are the most unlucky by far. Yeah, because you know, they're, 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 it's a big leap. Yeah, you're looking you're looking at the stat sheet. You're like Jesus Christ, we're skipping over about ten different uh, divisions here, and I'm jumping on the elevator and saying, "Shit, my room's on uh, on floor 13. I'm shit out of luck." But Peter, how's your week been, buddy? Oh, uh, week has been good. Uh, well, for the viewers out there, if you would have saw me, I was pretty pissed off because I was dealing with some audio issues and I can't figure everything out. So, um, managed to get a mini fix at the moment right now but uh don't you just hate it when you think something's working fine and then all of a sudden boom like something get something else gets shoveled in your face and you got to be like okay now i gotta deal with this crap now like jesus i can't catch a break at this point you know but uh you know week was good you know halloween is coming to an end i'm kind of sad but at the same time you know christmas season is around the corner so my family is still very ecstatic about that there you go. Yeah, I know it's uh that's the beauty of the uh the podcast industry right now is technical difficulties almost come, you know, each each and every week. So um Zoom, a- fix your audio options right now because you have one pissed off customer right now. 
Yeah, there you there you go. There you go. Get it get it out of the On way. On the record. Yeah, this is yeah. this is gonna be this is gonna be the next segment of uh, S, uh secret bases beef history. Peter Barracchini versus Zoom. Peter Barracchini versus what 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 kind of mic do you have again? The snowball? Uh blue yeti. The Yeti, right. So Peter versus yeah. Yeti. There you go. <laughs> I, I was going to say uh, uh, we should have uh, we should add grind what grinds your gears to our episodes, and, and Peter can kind of run that that segment there. When the mic and equipment don't go your way, simple as that. <laughs> That's what grinds his gears. Um, but yeah, boys, it, it it was a it was a good week in Maple Leaf Land um, for me personally. Uh, took the little guy out tonight uh, for Halloween, dressed up as a firefighter. Um, he wasn't too pleased with the the firefighter's hat, but uh, got a got a few good picks. So, you know, if you're not following me on Twitter, head over to Twitter, or you can you know find me on Instagram. I'm there too. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. Hopefully next year it's a little bit more normal, and he uh, he kind of understands what what's going on a little bit more. But uh, it was it was fun for the wife and I. So that's that's always always a plus. Plus mm-hmm. we got I was telling Alex we got we got all the candy. So yeah. You know, there seventeen you months old. They're not. They're not eating the the double bubble and the uh, and the the Reese's buttercup. So Forbes <laughs> is calling up his relatives and his friends and saying, "Hey, Oakley wants little uh, mini Mickey's of whiskey this year." Yeah, you know, we we get <laughs> Christmas fill up wish his Halloween list. bag with that. We get Christmas <laughs> wish list, but I think I'm going to start uh, Halloween wish list from now on. There you go. I start it. early. New thing. New thing for 2022, folks. Here we go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, boys, um, we kind of talked uh, earlier this week about how we're going to do this show and, uh, particularly because we only record once a week. Um, we, you know, we talk about things maybe a little bit later than some, um, that being said we do have to start this episode off on, on a bit of a somber note, um, with everything that's happened in the hockey world this past week. And, for for most of us, we you know if you're following hockey, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, Kyle Beach obviously coming out with uh, with you know being the John Doe in in, in the uh, allegations that were against uh, the 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 Blackhawks, which obviously you know with all the work that you know Emily Kaplan and, and uh, Rick Westhead did uh, along with others uh, uncovered the the truth for Kyle and and his family and his friends and and those involved in, in the situation as well but um i i just wanted to you know kind of speak to it a little bit because after watching the the TSN interview with Kyle i i didn't i didn't say much regarding the actual interview it was it was hard to watch it was it was incredibly emotional anybody that watched it saw the uh the moments where where you know, it almost became overwhelming to listen to to what exactly he went through. And it, I don't know if you guys read the reports, but I, I read a little bit of the reports in terms of what mm-hmm. what exactly happened. And, um, you know, I think it strikes me, I, I've said this before on the podcast, I think being a parent now, it strikes me a little bit differently as well, because um, I, I don't know, I don't know if I should really, really say this, but if if that was ever my son in that situation, um, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'd be going to jail for it because uh, I'd be finding that person and I'd be hunting them down and I'd be doing the absolute unspeakable because I, I just can't, I can't even imagine what Kyle's family is going through, what Kyle went through, uh, what he continues to go through. And he mentioned in the, in the interview that this is just the beginning for him. This is the, just the beginning of recovery. Yeah. He, he's had one day of reckoning. Um, 
and you know from here it's just finding that growth and finding that that way back from obviously what was an incredibly dark place um i did i was very vocal uh regarding the fallout um obviously you know joel joel quenville stepped down um we we saw that uh, stan bowman stepped down a number of others uh left their posts and i i have to for me it's it's frustrating because i see the word step down and i don't think that they deserve that opportunity i i for me it it comes down to the fact that they were involved they had knowledge they knew exactly what was going on and you know, even if they didn't say anything to authorities, start the conversation, lead it down the right path, because there is an individual, a human being that was going through something that obviously they didn't know how to react to or, or how to um, get it to the right people so that it stopped. And, and all that Chicago did was give this Brad Aldrich another opportunity to do the same damn thing to another individual and he served nine months in prison, nine months. That's the length of a, of a pregnancy. That's for the, the fact that these, these victims that he, he left behind and I forget who said it, but they said it perfectly. I think it might've even been um, John Derringer who said that it's not, just the victim themselves, but the fact that they go in and they, you know, whether they become alcohol abusers or drug abusers and the family that it affects, the people around them that it affects because they see a change in these people. That to me um, was really telling because all of a sudden you're not talking about one individual that's been affected by this, this, inhumane act you're talking about a group and a group of people that will never be the same um and they have to live with what was was done to to you know their loved one and then to to go on further from this is is that you know stan bowman stepped down from chicago he uh resigned his post or or usa hockey took him away from the olympics and then they go and put bill garen in, in, into that position as GM. And here's another guy who's in, in an alleged uh, sexual abuse or sexual assault scandal right now. And, and I just, I don't understand. And I, it's, it's this hockey culture conversation that we've had so many times. Um, when does it change? We, we've talked about the racism that still in, still happens in the game. Wayne Simmons doesn't even want his kids to be signed up to hockey right now. I don't even want my kids signed up to hockey because when does this change? Logan Mayu, Tony D'Angelo, instead of, instead of focusing on making the change, we're sending out memos and mandates from the league to 32 teams that about what's acceptable and what's not. When has sexual abuse ever been accept, acceptable? When has it ever been you know, it's human decency. It's not about, there shouldn't be a league mandate of what's, what needs to be talked about within the dressing rooms. Educate your people, educate them as to 
what steps to take when this is brought to you because it was brought forward and they brushed it under the rug. And then they go on and they, they, they interview Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and, and how many players didn't want to get involved in the conversation. And there there's Brent Sopel saying that, you know, the players knew there's Nick Boynton saying the players in that dressing room knew there was a, there was a photo out of when they won the cup and in the background on the whiteboard, it says Chris Pronger is gay. That was the mentality in that dressing room. That was the culture within that dressing room. And nobody changed that. All they did was basically crucify this kid, Kyle Beach, who was an absolute talent to the point that he is now playing third tier Germany or in a third tier German league and never got the opportunity to follow his dream because of one guy and then a group of individuals that chose not to furthered the conversation yeah so you, i you yeah said it best i i i i'm sorry i had to go on a little rant there because no. i wanted to write a post for the hockey writers about it but i don't know if it would come across the right way and uh mm-hmm. yeah i don't know boys um peter if you want to if you want to step in and, and just if you have anything to add you, you, that was perfectly said by the way um where do you even begin? Like you said, like, when does it end? Obviously this whole entire situation was done to protect a video coach. Now, granted position shouldn't matter. It shouldn't be to protect the star player. It shouldn't be to protect the head coach, assistant, whatever. But the fact that like, you know, it was done to protect a video coach of all people all this could have been resolved. Well, not necessarily resolved, but if you would have taken immediate action right away, you wouldn't have to go through this ordeal and the victim wouldn't have to suffer year after year after year. Kyle Beach suffered for 10 to 11 years with all this weighing on his mind and that Brad Aldrich got away with it scot-free, basically. it's In order to nip this in the butt, it's got to start at the very top. The leadership has to change. That starts with Gary Bettman. It's, it's already probably starting with Donald Fierro because he's going to have a pretty, pretty intense meeting right now because his claim went to the NHLPA and they did absolutely nothing with it. I'm glad that they started to clean house with the Chicago Blackhawks, but then again, happened 10, 11 years too late. And like you said, like this old boys culture that even Taylor Hall alluded to in his post-game conference, like this is the kind of, excuse my language, this is the kind of shit that needs to end. Like this is absolutely disgusting. And hearing Beach's comments in that Westhead interview, you can't help but feel his pain. I was choking up. I was tearing up hearing at the agony that he went through the pain that he suffered, the abuse that he like turned to with alcohol and everything like that. How can you not see that this is a problem and that you need to clean house and stop with the memos and take immediate action? It's written on a piece of paper. Okay, great. You know what's better? Doing something about it. Like enough is enough. And, how, and to protect... 
all the players from here on out should be the priority so that we don't have another Kyle Beach situation, that we don't have to have the same issues when we're talking about another Logan Mayu incident or another Tony D'Angelo incident. Stop with this crap about like, you know, saying that, oh, this is, it is what it is or whatever. This isn't hockey. This is absolute garbage and it needs to stop. So one one of the things you said there was, you know, protecting the the video coach. But for me, it was protecting their Stanley Cup win, their their Stanley yes. Cup chances. They were protecting each other rather than focusing more than on a the, human life, more than more than the humanity mm-hmm. that it takes to, you know, recognize that this guy was suffering. Not only that, and the, the this is where the problem arises even more is that they went on to give him a glowing recommendation so that he could get a job at a, at a school where he had opportunity. Once again, this is exactly how sexual predators operate. And, and they, 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 they played a part in that next victim. And though the people that surrounded him, his circle falling victim to the same person that they employed, the same and the sad person part is Kyle beach had to apologize saying that he was sorry that he didn't do more to protect them. That is the sad part. Okay. I I mean, not necessarily the sad part, but like it's sad that the victim is saying that maybe he's at fault for something that the organization clearly didn't do what they need to do. And the the, the problem, the problem is though, is that he brought it up to the NHLPA. Donald fair needs to pay for this on top of that, on top of that, Gary Bettman, the questions that he asked Kyle Beach in their in their Zoom call, um, and, and the, the the responses he had to to the lawyers' uh, questions when Kyle Beach's lawyer was having the conversation about, you know, why didn't you guys, why did you let the Blackhawks uh, investigate? Well, we were going to look into it afterwards. Never happened. Why did it never yeah. happen? There's no answer there, and that's the problem. So, really, you're right. It does start from the top down. And on top of that, I, I wanted to raise one more point is because you said we, we don't want to have this happen again. We don't want another Kyle Beach incident. Graham James, Sheldon yeah. Kennedy, and Theo Fleury, and who, whoever else, you know, Graham James might have come in contact with. This is not something new. This is something that's been going on in hockey culture. And granted, that was, that was minor league hockey, whatever, but it was happening. And this idea that they can hold their dream of playing in the NHL over their heads is absolutely sickening. And now here we are crucifying guys like, you know, I'll I'll use Theo Fleury as an example. Yeah. He had a drug addiction. He had an alcoholic, you know, he was an alcoholic and he's a, he's a hall of famer in anybody's books and you won't put him in because of the shit that he put the league through at the end of the day. You got to be shitting me. You're crucifying a guy for going through what he did. And then here you are letting another guy go through the same damn thing, becoming a, becoming an addict, going off to play in Europe away from his family. Uh, and, and here, here's the league sitting there doing absolutely nothing. That's the part that's, that's so sickening. But Alex, I want to throw it over to you to see if you have anything to add to this as well. Cause I've kind of, I've taken up the first 10 minutes of our, of our, of our show this week. So to me, the most disgusting part about this entire scandal without a doubt. 
And it, it, it spans from the reaction at the time to the reaction and kind of how this whole thing is playing out now is the disturbing lack of remorse from anybody. I don't think a single major factor who had the power to change this, the, the, the complexion of this situation and maybe, maybe alter Kyle's situation for the better at the time had, has any remorse and it's disgusting. And there are multiple, like there, there's multiple parts of this. I mean, you can obviously look at Joel Quenville um, in the meeting at the time and saying that he didn't want to disrupt his team's chemistry by firing a fucking video coach. Like that doesn't make, I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous. And it, you know, we talked about this on the show, I believe when we were talking about Robin Lehner and the whole, his, uh, his set of tweets there when he was kind of trying to expose the NHL for the way that they handle prescription drugs and stuff. It just reaffirms the point that number one priority is money. And obviously that's not a surprise, but it, it, it's, it's saddening when you, when you see a play out like that. And when you actually see right in front of your eyes, the lack of remorse and the lack of respect that these officials have for their players. And, you know, another example of this that makes it even more disgusting. I mean, you know, I know Peter, you mentioned the, um, um, the fact that this negligence allowed John Doe two to be sexually assaulted as well in, in, in Michigan. And the part that disturbed me the most was the fact that the Blackhawks, you mentioned how they wrote him that, gl that glowing uh, letter of recommendation to go work at this high school. And then when officials brought it back and said, why did you recommend this guy? They said, ah, well, you know, we, 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 we recommended him, but we didn't, we didn't recommend him for that specific school. So this isn't our problem. Like, like how can you look at yourself in the mirror knowing that you, that knowing that you brushed it off like that. And you know, I go and I look at Jonathan Taves' quote to the media and Patrick Kane's quote to the media and Jeremy Carlton's quote to the media, and I, it, it makes my blood boil that in the same fucking answer, they had the audacity to praise Stan Bowman. It's ridiculous. And you know what? I, <laughs> like, if anything, at best, just what was the timing there? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that these players in these situations do have feelings like that for Stan Bowman. And that's great. But you know who it's not great for? Kyle Beach. Kyle Beach is sitting there reading these quotes, watching these press conferences, and he's hearing his former teammates, likely some of the same ones that, that called him slurs and made fun of him, talk about the guys that brushed off his case and tried to sweep his case under the rug and tried to cover it up and essentially caused this 11 years of suffering. He's listening to his former teammates call them great men who did a lot of great things for them personally. And that's the part that I can't get over. I, you know, and you know, you mentioned right off the top Forbes about how, dis how disgusting it is that he, that Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman had the options to resign. And sure they did it because all of a sudden they were caught in their lies saying they had no idea what happened. And then naturally the investigation goes about and it was determined that they did know now they're caught in a lie. And now it's like, they, they, like they, they stepped down. So that's whatever. They're not working anymore. But at the same time, I don't know how the hell you're, I don't know how Joel Quenville got on the bench to coach that night. I, I don't know how he's been able to do it for the past 11 years. I don't know how Kevin Shevel day off because for whatever reason, there was no punishment for him. I don't know how he can pick up the phone when other teams call him about a trade or inquire about a free agent or anything like that. I don't know how he can pick up the phone and look himself in the mirror doing his job, knowing that he fucked Kyle Beach's life. And 
you know, by process, but by, by a chain of events, did the same thing to John Doe too in the intern that Brad Aldrich harassed. And every single other case of sexual assault that's been brushed under the rug because of this trend that's being set of covered up. Like Forbes, you mentioned the whole Bill Guerin thing. Once again, like this is a guy, like in terms of the Bill Guerin thing, you're talking about a guy whose wife was sexually assaulted in a taxi by the head coach of the team that you manage because he was the GM of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins at the time. And you have the audacity to say, okay, okay we're going to let him go, but like, don't tell anyone about it. What, what, what are you, what are you protecting him for? I don't, I, that's the part that pisses me off the most about all this is the fact that there are some people out there who for whatever reason feel the need to make the people who covered it up the victims here. Like, I, I just don't understand it. And I don't understand how people can sit here and watch that interview with Kyle Beach. And I'm going to, I just want to point out, because I haven't really touched on, on that interview yet. I could not, I, I, I couldn't handle the part when he was talking about John Doe too. That was without a doubt, the most heart wrenching part about the entire interview and just hearing the pain. I mean, you could see the pain in his eyes and you could hear the pain in his voice throughout the entire thing. And, you know, for anyone like he, he's just, obviously been suffering so much for the past 11 years and there are still people out there who feel bad for Stan Bowman or feel bad for Joel Quenville or feel bad for these guys who were a part of the entire investigation and either didn't cooperate or didn't try hard enough and that's the part that pisses me off and you know, I, I, I know that we're, you know, we mentioned it off the top two Forbes that we've been, there's nothing really that we could say right now that hasn't been said a million times already over the past week, but it's just, it, it, it blows me away how disgusting it is. And then the fact that they sent out the memos to what an absolute joke that was. It is, it is. What, it you, is. You, what, what are you doing? You're telling your employees, Hey guys, by the way, that whole sexual assault thing. Yeah. Just try, try to avoid that if you can. Like yeah, what yeah. kind of example does that say? Yeah. Well, as, then, soon as, as soon as I saw it, my mind's like, yeah, no shit. No shit. You want to avoid that stuff. You don't want that shit happening in your fucking room, let alone your organization. Now the NHL is like, yeah, you know what? We don't want it happening in the league either. So let's try and steer clear of this kind of situation again. I'm just going to say, how, how different of a situation would it be if they actually took this serious and didn't wait 11 damn years? Like, I mean – Hopefully that they would have t- they they should have th- taken it seriously, dealt with it, made sure that Brad Aldrich paid, and made sure that Kyle Beach got you know the necessary help that he needed for the pain that he endured. Instead, they had to let him endure it so much longer than necessary. Yeah, but to add to that point, like what a slap in the face now that the the NHL comes out and says, you know what, we'll help with all of your you know whatever whatever kind of therapy, whatever you need. therapeutic help you yeah. need will help with that now for as long as you need it yeah you're fucking right you will <laughs> are you kidding me <sighs> I, I guys like i let i mean i think we've yeah. said like everything that we can say that, that yeah. i think to add to everything on top of this is just like the the chicago blackhawks were fined two million dollars uh and I mean, we talk about how many, how many times the NHL has just kind of kicked every, every victim of sexual assault in the balls like because of their decision-making. And this is like, okay, the New Jersey Devils were fined $3 million for 
breach of contract or breach of the salary cap when they signed Kovalchuk to that massive deal. And then they're like, okay, well, for sexual assault, you guys covering up, we're going to, we're going to just fine you $2 million. Um, okay. Okay. Um, they, they did, they did ask that the league uh, remove or that the hall of fame remove Brad Aldridge from the cup. Here's, here's what I think about it. I, I think that every, every name on that roster should be re- removed from the cup. I think that entire plaque on that ring should be removed from the cup. I think Jonathan mm-hmm. Taves should be stripped of his captaincy. I think that he shouldn't make Team Canada this year because he is in the conversation. I think Patrick Kane, no way he makes Team USA, uh, stripped of his A. I, I, I re- realistically, I don't think they should be in the league for what they were you know a part of. No. But they were accomplices. That'll never happen. I mean, let, let's be completely honest here. That'll never happen. They're signed to long-term deals. You know, by the end, by the time their deals are done, they'll probably walk away from the game anyways. And then on top of all of that, Duncan Keith, like there's a fucking, there's a class act right there. Like just an absolute piece of shit. If you want to, if you want to talk about pieces of shit in this organization, there's a piece of shit. Would not only he he was an A, he was an assistant captain on that team, and he had the nerve to come out and say, "Yeah, I didn't have a lot of um, interaction with Brad Aldrich." Are you fucking kidding me? He was your video coach. You're telling me that throughout that entire season you didn't have interactions with Brad Aldrich? I mean. Yeah, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, guys, it, it kind of a somber start to to uh, episode fifty nine here, but uh, we needed to get that out there because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned to Peter, um, you know, it was that was just weighing on me, and that's just from watching the interview, seeing the emotion, um, wondering if anything will change by the time my kid, you know, decides he wants to play hockey. And can I can I butt in right here, Forbes? Absolutely. That that change is not going to happen until you finally make a fucking example of these people. Yep. Yeah. And I agree. The NHL is too afraid to do that, and it's it, it's an act of cowardice, and it pisses me off. But nothing's going to change until the performative bullshit stops. This stupid oh hockey is for everybody shit stops, and you finally make an example of somebody you fucked up. And you know what? Absolutely. Saying fucked up is being very generous. You know, I, 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 I fully agree with stripping every last shred of evidence off of the Stanley Cup from that 2010 team because I think of Kyle Beach in the end. And we're talking about how this guy got to, this guy had to sit back <clears throat> and watch that fucking goon Brad Aldrich walk around holding the Stanley Cup. He got to have a day with the Cup knowing that he threatened Kyle Beach's career and manipulated him into doing that awful act. And he doesn't have any repercussions from it unless you include that joke of a nine-month sentence years later after he had done it like a couple more times. Not even, not even for that situation, though. Not even for that no, situation. No, no, no. No, no that, that, one, that one, yeah. It was a completely different situation. Kyle Beach still got left in, the, left in the dark there. So, you know, how do you think Kyle Beach feels looking at the Stanley Cup? How do you think he feels reflecting on that 2010 run? Because truth be told, that Stanley Cup run, you could argue, came at his expense. It 100% came at his expense and his suffering. So why should anybody be celebrating that year at this point? Honestly, I don't even think Blackhawks fans would still celebrate that 2010 Stanley Cup. I guarantee you there wouldn't be a peep out of their fan base if you stripped well, not if you if you removed every any evidence off that Stanley Cup, put an asterisk next to the season, whatever. 
there might be the couple odd pieces of shit that are like, oh, whatever. Like you should still, like, you should still give them the benefit of the doubt. But I think for the most part, we everybody in in Chicago's fan base, everybody across the league, this is the rare time in hockey Twitter and in the hockey community where everybody can come together and agree this is this is next level fucked up. And you know, at this point, I don't think we should be pandering to anybody that thinks otherwise. Strip them, strip them of their championship in 2010 because at this point it's tainted and we, we can't look back on it any differently from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before, before we move on here, I just wanted to raise a couple more quick points. Um, shame on the Florida Panthers for letting Joel Quenville go out there and coach that night and, and not doing something about it. Shame on the Winnipeg Jets for still employing uh, Kevin Shovel Day off and shame on any one of the, the 31 GMs out there that take a call from Kevin Shevel day off anytime in the future here, because yeah. I would not be talking to him. Um, I would not be taking a call from him. Uh, I would send it right through to voicemail and he can leave whatever BS message that he wants to leave, but it's not, it, I would not give him the time of day, nor would I give anybody on that, on that team, the time of day um, in saying that shame on the NHL. Because they have been they have been behind the eight ball for a long, long time, and we we saw it in the bubble when Matt Dumba came out and made that statement after the the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and they were behind the eight ball on that. They did not cancel games where where other professional leagues canceled games to to recognize that there was an there was a, a, an issue. There was there was a major major issue. Uh, that needed to be resolved and they had an opportunity to make a statement. They didn't. It was the players who made that statement. Then again, they, you know, this, I, I, I don't want to take away from this, but Luke Prokop came out as, as the first under contract gay player in the NHL. Granted, he's still a prospect. I look back on that now and we, you know, we celebrated it when it happened but I, I'm afraid that it's all for show the, from the NHL standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Mm-hmm. And the NHL doesn't give a fuck about anything, but money. No. And, yeah. and now, now we're in a situation where all this stuff is coming out and they, they're still behind the eight ball because Kevin shovel Dayoff still has an office with an NHL organization. There are there. And, and, and the interview that Gary Bettman had with, with, Kyle Beach and his his lawyer basically like what what were you doing you had no clear answers as to why this was not handled right in the first place there was no answers it was literally like a a slap in the face the way that the the interview went down and i mean without Rick Westhead i don't think this comes out without Emily Kaplan oh, i don't he, think this comes out he deserves an award mm-hmm. every journalist that worked on this case deserves absolutely absolutely Katie as well Katie Strang, yeah. And- I also want to give a quick shout out to the Steve Dangle podcast because those guys are, as far as I'm concerned, the only pod I know of that brought Rick Westhead on to before this before the report even came out. They had him on back in May when the initial allegations came out, and they had mm-hmm. it. They had him on the show when he was in the very early stages of researching, and they brought it. They just recently brought him back to dissect the whole situation again. So I want to give a shout out to those guys as well because that, that's personally how I became informed on the situation and how I ended up doing most of my research. And without them, I don't know if I would if I would even be able to speak about it right now. So it's massive kudos to those guys too. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, if anybody follows request that he did mention that he is taking a short break after, after everything that's happened this week. Um, I believe it might've been Katie Strang, It might've been Emily Kaplan um, just also released a tweet that another player at a lower level did come forward against a Chicago area coach um, recently and cited that it was because of Kyle Beach's courage and strength um, for, for, uh, basically outing himself as John Doe that he was able to build up that courage and come out against this Chicago area coach. So already making changes. So Kyle Beach, I know you're never going to listen to this podcast, but you're beyond a hero. A hero does yeah. not begin to describe what you are um, to any player and any victim that has gone through what you've gone through. Um, we cannot even imagine what you have been struggling with over the last 10, 11 years. But um, we commend you for doing everything that you could to try and, you know, share your story and, and explain to, to the world that this, this Brad Aldrich was a massive piece of shit. So thank you again for doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully this, this conversation doesn't stop. And that's why we had to have this conversation today because we cannot let it just die off like so many others have done in the past. Can I come forward and just share a little bit of a quote to close this off? Absolutely. I, I don't remember who I heard this from, but it, it sits with me every single time I hear a story like this come out. The NHL never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Shame on you, NHL. Shame on you. Boys, we do have some more hockey news to talk about. And it's always tough coming out of those things. I know we, you know, Peter, I have to say we haven't had uh, any – RIPs in the last few episodes. So that's, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. um, but it is always hard to come out of that, that kind of conversation and get right into hockey talk. Um, yeah. That said, we're going to make it short and sweet on the NHL news here before we throw it over to our guest, Alex Bishop, uh, e-bug for the Maple Leafs. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood vaccination got his first on, on route to his second. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi take note because uh as Alex saw live the other night, the uh, Red Wings certainly could have used their top score. Unfortunately, he did not have any shots in that game. So, uh, I mean, come on, guys. It was floating all over Twitter. We had to, it's, we had to it's light right it up. right there for the taking. First player, you know? first player to score four goals without a single shot. Yeah, yeah. We, we had to lighten the mood a little bit here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I am sure New Jersey's happy to have Mackenzie Blackwood uh, mm -hmm. kind of – you know, back, back with that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention before I ask you guys a quick question here is the uh, Alex Ovechkin now has eight goals in seven games this season. He is too shy of Brett Hall for fourth on the all-time scoring list. Um, safe to say he does the next game, or are we looking at two games? You know what? I'm Instead of me going with the obvious answer, I'm going to say <laughs> next two games. What, what let's make things a little bit more interesting. You know, him, it's going to be too easy if off, I say eh? he gets it. Huh? Give him a night off. Give him a night off. You know, it's going to be too easy to say that he'll get it done in one game. Let's just say two for the fun of it. You know, Alex, what are your thoughts? Here's, here's my take. Alex Ovechkin is going to go goalless in the next two games and then score a hat trick in the third game. Oh, I like it. Like <laughs> go one above. Heard yeah. here first folks. Heard exactly. here first. <laughs> um, exactly. 
the last thing I want to get your guys' advice, or not, sorry, not advice, your <laughs> thoughts on Seattle retired the number 32. And then they, uh, they raised uh, a, another banner for kind of uh, representing the, uh, the old Seattle team as well. I, I want your thoughts on both of those. So Alex, first off the, the you know, raising and recognizing the, the former Seattle team, but on top of that, the raising of and retiring of number 32 because of the 32,000 fans that committed to season tickets and then becoming the 32nd team in the NHL. You know, if, if this makes any sense, I think I would probably be a little more warmed up to the idea if it was guaranteed that Seattle was going to be the last team to ever be added to this league. But, because otherwise, if the NHL decides to expand further and say add a team in, I don't know, Quebec City or – uh, Houston or something along the lines of that, then like, wh- then what's so special about team number 32 at that point? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, to be honest. Like I, I personally think it's kind of stupid. I, 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 and maybe that's just because the teams that I grew up with, obviously. So every team besides Vegas and Seattle, um, they, like it's just that the trend has always been just to retire numbers of to commemorate players and it's like sure it, it, like first of all the seattle like they're, they're they're paying homage to that out of their team they, they don't have any ties to that team which kind of it's a little bit strange um and then in terms of the thirty-two thousand fans like sure that's a that's a nice uh, that's a nice gesture i guess but at the same time it was a Jersey number really the right way to do it. Like not what what's going to happen if Johnny quick ever signs in Seattle can't be number 32, just because 32,000 fans happened to buy season tickets that year. I don't know. I, I, I personally, like I said, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I don't really lose sleep over it, but I, I, I do think it was kind of stupid. Peter, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I mean, it gives them a sense of an identity, I guess, right? You know, build, it builds morale for it, builds the fan base up. It tries to get more people involved. I guess the fact that they did something in that, paying homage to that, I guess, I guess it, it it's a step in the right direction to help grow the fan base even more. So that maybe, obviously, it's uh, based on the 32,000 fans, but it still helps to, it, it allows them to be a part of it. And whoever comes in, they're still going to be a part of that tradition, even though they're not the first 32. I guess it doesn't quite make sense. But at the same time, you're still part of that team. You're part of that fan base. I I guess that's where I'm coming from with that. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I mean, see, I mean, the biggest Golden Knights have made their identity of being, you know, flashy, loud, like a typical Vegas experience. I guess this is a Seattle's way of their introduction to the league, I guess. So let me put it this way. For me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the same boat as Alex. I'm not, you know, I'm not losing sleep over it. At the same time, um, I, I want to mention that the Leafs didn't actually retire most of the numbers that were hanging in their arena until the I believe it was three years ago um, when they, they actually retired every, every number that they had a banner for and then delivered the banners to the, uh, the, the respective players as well. And the reason being was they only retired numbers for players that had passed away um, during their time with the organization. So numbers like Johnny Bauer numbered wasn't retired until 
three years ago. Matt Sundin's number, not retired. Um, you know, Dave Keon's number was not retired. That means something. Um, when you raise a banner for 32,000 fans that bought season tickets, I mean, okay, if I ever buy season tickets to the Leafs, I want them to raise a banner with my face on it. Like, you know, it's just a fun, it, it, it does, it, it means absolutely nothing. So, dare, dare, dare I say that the Leafs would never lose another game if they, another home game, if they were skating around the ice looking up to see the face of Andrew Forbes <laughs> glaring down at them? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I think, I think it'd be a nightmare. It'd be every night would be Halloween for them. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's one of those things, like, you have to earn it. You can't just raise I, a banner yeah. for whatever. Right. Like otherwise teams are going to raise banners every single night because then they have a reason to put on a show. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. And you know what? It's it, for me, the concept of a Jersey retirement is the fact that you're commemorating a player who was monumental to that organization. I look at, for example, the Detroit Red Wings with Gordie Howe. Could you picture anybody else wearing the number nine in Detroit after Gordie Howe wore it? It would be it would be disrespectful. I mean, we, you know, we talk about how Josh Hosang was kind of given hell by the league after he wore sixty six by the new, with the New York Islanders, and it, it's like I, I kind of understand that. Like, I'm I'm not a traditionalist for too many things in the NHL. I'm I'm fully on board with the idea of adapting and kind of abandoning old trends. For example, I fucking hate everything about the New York Yankees and how they make their players shave and you know all that bullshit. But it, it, at the same like at the same time. I do believe there are certain things that hold meaning beyond just like, you know, the old school mentality, like to retire a player's number, especially like speaking from a Leaf fans perspective here, especially Matt Sundin, number 13, I would not want to see another player ever wear the number 13 because Matt Sundin just did so much in Toronto with that number. It would feel wrong for any other player to have that number. So I, I, I am a little more on board with the, I, I, you know, save the Jersey retirements because retiring a Jersey number is a massive massive commitment like you're saying that nobody else can ever wear that number ever again and if you're gonna do it do it in the name of somebody who did a lot for that organization and sure whatever thirty-two thousand season tickets sold how many of those tickets were contractors right like i don't want to i don't really want to go there but at the same time like save it for a, a player who does something for the organization a player that does something for the community a player that's looked back on um fondly and I, in that case, it would make sense to me, but I just, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand retiring a Jersey number for anything else. This just in Starbucks owns 22,000 of those 32,000 season tickets. <laughs> oh, uh, yep. Yeah, no, it's, I, I get it. I, I just, I had to raise that point. Cause I, I saw the tweet and I was like, ah, man, just what, what, a, what a shitty way to start your organization. Fuck. But mm-hmm. uh, anyways, Boys, let's throw it over to our guest, uh, Alex Alex Bishop, uh, e-bug for the Maple Leafs, um, U of T goaltender, and, and all-around great guy. So here he is, Alex Bishop. Folks, we have the pleasure of welcoming former St. John Sea Dog, former Quebec Rampart. He's played for the Markham Royals of the OJHL, now playing for the University of Toronto and also signed an ATO with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Alex Bishop, welcome to Sticks in the Six. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Alex. So obviously the first thing that was kind of floating around social media on your big day a couple weeks ago was the fact that you were in the middle of midterms on that day. So I got to get this question out of the way. How'd your midterms go? (laughs) Uh, 
could have been better, could have been worse, I guess. I got one mark back, which uh, went better than expected, but wrote a couple tough ones this week. So we'll see how those go when they come back. But overall, overall better than I expected, I think. Could have been better, could have been worse. It's like the motto of every class in high school. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Alex, we got to ask you, how did this whole process of signing the ATO with the Maple Leafs come about? Yeah, so I'm a part of the, uh, the e-bug rotation, um, which is just something that we do. The university goes from Ryerson, York, and U of T. Uh, they have the opportunity to send in their availability, and then they just make a schedule from there. So you basically, if you're an e-bug, you go and you sit in the stands, you park underground, leave your gear there. Um, and then if any goalie on either team gets hurt, you, you go down, you get dressed, but you don't come out on the bench. Um, so I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and they've, they've called me for a couple of times. I was supposed to practice once uh, the year before the COVID year, but uh, that didn't work out. Um, so they, they had my number. They've been uh, in contact with me, and then they needed a, needed a guy for morning skate. I kind of knew Friday morning it was a possibility. Um, they let me know, yeah, we're going to have you out. You're going to skate with the team, and then depending on Mrazic's MRI, we're going to we're going to see if we need you on the bench. So I knew it was a possibility then. Um, I just went out, morning skate, did it with the team, had about 45 minutes one-on-one -on -one with Matthews before that. So that was, uh, that was pretty fun as well. But um, yeah, I got off the ice and my phone was just, it was blowing up. Um, and I guess from there, I just kind of, just kind of assumed I was in. Alex, you mentioned you just uh, you spent 45 minutes on the ice with Matthews before you got the call and everything like that. What was it like practicing with him and even for the rest of the team for that matter and just to get to know the guys on there? It was amazing. Uh, they're, you know, obviously the, the best in the world at what they do. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun to be out there with them to, to see kind of their practice habits and the intensity they bring even to a morning skate where, you know, in my experience, a lot of guys are just out there to, feel the puck, get their legs under them before the, before the game that night. They were, they were seemed like they were going full speed and uh, trying to basically trying to get better, um, which, which I, I found really, really interesting, really cool to see. Um, and then obviously practicing with Matthews, he is, you know, one of, if not the best shot in the world. So um, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to have that 45 minutes with him. Um, it was even cooler to say that I stopped a couple of them. So <laughs> there you um, go. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was awesome. Not um, a lot of people get to say that. So that is that, that must have been quite the experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's an accomplishment in itself. Um, so, Alex, I was actually at that game against the Senators, um, and I, I kind of caught you out on the ice doing warm-ups with the team and taking some shots from the guys. And I saw you chatting with Jack Campbell a little bit. And I want to ask you, obviously, in Leafs Nation, Jack Campbell is beloved, not only for his play, but just because he's the one of the nicest guys in the world. At least that's how he's perceived by the media. So I just want to know, what was it like spending time with him and getting to chat with him? And did he give you any cool advice or anything like that? Um, well, he first of all, he's an unbelievable human being from the short time I spent with him. Uh, he's just salt of the earth, um, you know. As a goalie, I think I would have completely understood if he kind of just ignored me on game day and went about his game day routine and kind of focused. But he was he was super uh, super welcoming. He he tried to get me involved as much as I as much as he could, um, you know, and invited me to come come play soccer with them, do things like that. Kind of filled me in on what the warm up looks like, and um, they even have a little pre scouts that he that he went through with me, which was completely unnecessary. But um, yeah, so he's he's just. Um, he's one of the best, one of the best people, um, one of the best NHLers that I've, that I've met for sure. Um, and then as far as advice goes, I think he didn't really give me any explicit advice, but um, I think I'll just be taking away the fact that, you know, this guy's at 
the pinnacle of, of his sport. And he's still, you know, the most humble, most like nice human being that, that you'll find. So that's just something that, um, just something to, to work towards, I guess, and to try to take with me. I mean, we all, we all know the stereotypes on goalies that there's a, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a different side to them. Do you have any kind of uh, quirks or anything or, you know, in the, in the room, did you see kind of Jack doing anything different that maybe, you know, you don't see every day? Yeah, not, uh, not particularly. No, uh, he was, he was a pretty, pretty normal goalie as, as far as those standards go. Um, unfortunately, I, I've also been told I'm a pretty normal goalie. So that's a point of pride <laughs> with me, but uh, so I got no, no weird goalie stories for you, but um, yeah, no, he, he just kind of went about his pregame the way that, the way that you expect anyone there's, to go about their pregame. There's an exception to every rule, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I, I did want to follow it up with, you know, you in the room, what was the atmosphere like? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, I guess, bad connotation right now going against the Leafs, uh, Leafs for just their play on the ice. But what was it like being in that room? And, and maybe when you stepped in there, who were some of the first guys to approach you and, you know, just kind of welcome you to the, uh, welcome you to the room? Well, everyone pretty much came in, came up and introduced themselves. Um, you know, Muzzin was was one of the first, uh, Simmons as well, Spezza. So I think the room has a really cool uh, kind of mix between those young stars and the, the guys maybe on the back nine of their career, but now they're just exceptional leaders um, and they can they can really bring these young guys along. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird being in, a, being in a room with some guys making so much money that are younger than me, which, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously goes, hurts the ego a little bit, but, um, you know, they're still – Again, pretty humble guys. Um, everyone treated me, you know, as as kind of one one of the t- one of the boys that day, as just a part of the team. So that was great. And um, yeah, the older the older guys really, uh, you know, they've been doing this some of them for for fifteen to twenty years. So um, they they really they know what to do, and they know uh, it's probably not their first time welcoming just some random guy into the team. So it was nice. So what emotions were going through your mind when you first stepped onto the ice for pregame, coming out uh, onto the ice uh, when they were doing the opening uh, announcement for the rosters and just taking in the game? And, you know, I, I, I know I was seeing on social media a lot, a lot of people wanted to see you get into the game and see you play as well because, hey, it's a good feel-good moment. Um, what, 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 was, what emotions were you feeling and what was going through your mind at that point? Uh, yeah, that was it was pretty wild. I was... Um... It was overwhelming, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, you go to Leaf games. I've been to Leaf games growing up. And then, obviously, as I mentioned, I'm part of the e-bug program. I've, I've been to a bunch in the last few years. Um, but you never really kind of absorb it all until you're, you know, you're, you're at ice level. You see all the cameras flashing. It's, you know, the lights are down, but the, the light show's going. Um, it's, it's a crazy feeling. And even, even to just, you know, I, I come on the ice and basically go straight to the bench. It was it was crazy to see uh, all the, the, the screaming fans and just um, how, how loved this team is. Obviously, I know as a diehard, um, it's it was it was incredible. So the the nerves were there, but it was I was pretty overwhelmed. We, we should a, note, we, sorry, Alex, we should note that Peter it. Peter was your biggest advocate for uh, starting that game. So um, <laughs> you, you know, after the sh- after uh, after your game, he was he was all over it about you know maybe they should have started Alex for that one, but. Uh, we got the win, so it's all good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just to kind of follow up on Peter's question there, obviously, I, I'm, I was trying to put myself in your shoes yesterday, just sitting on the end of the bench, 
and sitting alongside these guys while the game's going on and everything and, you know, being right in the thick of an NHL atmosphere. I, I, were you at any point just sitting on the bench, just like shit, like what happens if I get called into this game? Like were there, I mean, obviously I'm sure they were positive nerves, but. Yeah. Uh, I think the first period I was pretty nervous just because, you know, I had just recently played my, my first game since February, 2020. I played on that Wednesday before the Saturday that I was backing up um, just because of COVID and everything. So um, I was a little bit rusty, but I mean, it's not like I've been off the ice for that long. So I would have, I think I would have, I would have been passable, I guess, but um, yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it was nerves in the first period uh, as the game kind of went on. I, I got a little more comfortable. And then, as I've said, by the third period, I just, I kind of realized this is an opportunity that, you know, next to no one gets. So I'm just going to soak it in. If I have to go in, I have to go in. That's what's going to happen. But uh, if I don't, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and try to try to remember this. What's uh, what's Sheldon Keefe like? Uh, he's he's a coach. He's good. Uh, he, he was nice. He came up and introduced himself. Had a had a good talk with me. Just uh, you know, asked where I'm from, my background a little bit. So again, I, I appreciated all the all the little conversations just because you know um, I was more or less a pillar player for them, right? I no one really needed to take the time out of their out of their pregame. They had a big game. You know, all the pressure playing in Toronto. Um, so it, I really did appreciate everyone kind of kind of taking the time to to make me feel welcome. But yeah, he was uh, he was nice. He he gave his pregame speech. He, you know, did the power play PK meeting, things like that. So it was, uh, it was cool to see him in action. But I'd also recently watched the uh, the Amazon documentary, so I had I had a little bit of insight on that before. Does he drop as many f bombs as he did in the documentary? Or no, surprisingly, <laughs> really? no, no. Wow. I, don't, I don't think so, I, I don't think I heard one. But to be fair, to be fair, they were winning most of the game, so I guess <laughs> no. that probably has has an impact. Pretty exclusively in f bombs in front of the camera, then I guess. Like, yeah, like exactly. The camera. There you go. All, all for show, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I was, I was just about to say all for show. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alex, Andrew mentioned your journey at the very top, uh, playing in the OJHL, going to the Q, finishing your career off in the Maritime Junior League, coming over here from university hockey, and then getting the opportunity with the Leafs. What has your hockey journey been like for you up until this point? And in terms of goals, what do you have set for the future? Uh, it's been a lot of highs and lows, I think. Um, you know, I've been, I've always been a late bloomer, I guess. I've, you know, I wasn't drafted in the OHL, um, <clears throat> played junior in my, had to play an extra year of uh, midget, played junior in my 17 year, and then um, had a hot start, ended up in the queue, bounced around there a little bit. Um, yeah, came back to Ontario, went with Markham, and just wasn't, wasn't the greatest fit. People there are awesome, just wasn't the greatest fit for me. So I went out and finished my junior career in PEI, and, um, I've ended up at U of T and it's been, uh, it's, it's given me opportunities that I, I never expected. I never could have dreamed of, um, you know, we have, we have a solid team here. I, I've made some, some lifelong friends, you know, my, my roommates are some of my best friends in the world. So, um, you know, that's been, it's, I don't regret the decision to come here one bit, um, ever. And then regarding, you know, what's next, uh, I'm not sure to be honest with you, um, you know, if something if something comes along that's kind of too good to turn down, then I mean, every every kid's dream is to to play professional hockey, right? So, um, you know, that's that's I'm not never going to rule that out, but um, at the same time, I do. You know, I have a job for next year actually lined up uh, out in New Brunswick where my girlfriend lives. So, um, congrats! Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah. So as of right now, that's the plan. Yeah. 
no, this question isn't necessarily hockey related, but what are you taking in school? Uh, I'm in commerce and I'm specializing in finance and economics. So nice, nice. There you go. Um, I'm also, this is, you know, obviously flipping right back to hockey here, but I'm a big fan of uh, Jersey numbers and stuff. Like for whatever reason, I've always kind of been attached to, you know, why guys pick certain numbers. And I noticed you were wearing number 70 in the warmups. Was that just the number they gave you or did you pick that number? Yeah, that was the number they gave me. I kind oh, of showed up. Yeah, showed up and went to my stall, and there was a there was a sweater there with the number on it. They gave me some some shoes, things like that. Everything had the number on it, so I was like, "Well, can't really change now." So not go. not Life that long. I not yeah, not that I would really push my luck, anyways. But yeah. <laughs> lifelong merch, love it. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, yeah. Where where's that jersey right now? Are you gonna are you gonna get that framed and put up, or what's what's going on with that jersey? Yeah, I'm definitely getting that framed. It's hanging in my closet right now. Um, so that's never, never being worn again, for sure. Uh, but then I got, I got the game puck as well. And then they gave me my, uh, my name tag from my, from my stall. So that'll probably go in the frame as well. So I'm excited to get that done. Good, be good for a man cave one day. Nice. Absolutely. I mean, I feel just... like your man cave would trump all other man caves if you had your own <laughs> yeah. NHL jersey. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone else could compete with that. <laughs> yeah, I was planning on getting a couple of my other jerseys framed, but I think they'll just kind of be overshadowed now. <laughs> yeah. N- nothing competes with a Maple Leaf jersey. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, just going back to the fan aspect for a second. Obviously, you you've gone to games when you were growing up, but now it seems like everything was reversed. And with uh, the past year and a half with COVID restrictions happening, fans weren't allowed in the arena to be there with fans back in there. What would, what, would, what like what did that mean for you? Uh, it was encouraging. I mean, as a you know, as a citizen, just to see that things are kind of getting back to normal on that front, it was it was amazing. You know, the States has been there for a while, letting people into games and things. So um, it was cool to see, you know, a game in Toronto with this seemed to be pretty full to me. So uh, it was it was cool that way. And then just as an athlete, you know, as, as a hockey player, just being in front of, you know, whatever it is, 18 to 20,000 fans, um, it's, it's something that, you know, you don't typically get to experience. You know, I played in front of some big crowds in junior, but no more than, you know, 13, 14,000. So um, to be there, at, again, like I said, the pinnacle of the sport is just, uh, it's, it's, it was amazing. So Alex, I got to ask, obviously one of the big stories that kind of came out after your game was that you were, you, you missed the, uh, the emergency backup game against Carolina in February by one game. I think it was your, you were the next one in the rotation, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. So I got to ask, you know, just seeing how that game played out and seeing what David Ayers went through and, you know, the fact people are still mentioning his name a year later, is there any, do you ever just sit back and just think like, holy shit, like I was, that, that could have been me. This could have been the Alex Bishop game if I was one, one, one spot in the rotation further. Uh, to be honest with you, not really. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that was, uh, you know, he went in he did a great job and um you know, he's kind of a cult hero now. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool for him. And then, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know how that would have fared for me going through the rest of school. I think it would have been pretty distracting, <laughs> especially given it would have happened in my second year. So, um, you know, as, as, again, as cool as it would have been, I, I'm definitely not saying I didn't want that opportunity, but, um, you know, things work out how they're supposed to work out. So there you go. I gotta close it out here, Alex. With uh, do you are you gonna stay in touch with any of the guys, or do you have the opportunity to stay in touch with any of the guys? And um, 
Yeah, moving forward, uh, I guess is there any any chance that uh, you know maybe maybe hook up with these guys down the road? <laughs> uh, never say never. I mean, as as we mentioned, you know, Jack Campbell's the nicest guy ever. He, he gave me his number after the game, so there's always that. Oh, but um, you know, he's. Uh, I think I think just the experience itself and uh, the memories I'm going to have for it all. Will uh, will do me just fine, but yeah, never know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll hit him up for dinner or something. <laughs> hit up the Red Lobster. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, just just wait till he signs that next contract because it's coming and he's gonna get some <laughs> uh, get some uh, bank. So yeah, steak for sure. Well, Alex, uh, I know you got a game to get to, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on, especially being a being a student and everything on top of that. So uh, thank you again for joining us on Sticks in the Six. Yeah, no problem. Have a good time. Well, boys, uh, like I mentioned, uh, leading in, what a great guy, what a great kid, and uh, what a what an opportunity for him as well. You know, throwing the blue and white uh, definitely confirmed our 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 uh, thoughts on Jack Campbell being absolutely the greatest existing human being. I mean, fuck the guy. He's like, here's my number. Let's you know, like, come on, like. What a, what a uh, yeah yeah so guy you, know, you want to hang around with all the time you know i'll go to you red lobster it, i'll buy him dinner. yeah let's yeah, go I've actually, you want to know something i've actually never been to red lobster in my life <sighs> not even once jack campbell you got to take alex hobson to red yeah. lobster as well <sighs> Yo, I would, we do you it? know what if if i had the opportunity to go to red lobster with jack campbell I, uh, you know what? I'd probably retire. Honestly, I would probably, I, I, I don't even have a job to retire from right now. I'm still in school, but I would retire from life and I'd go live in the woods because I've accomplished everything by that point. I've gone, I've gone to dinner with Jack Campbell and that's all, that's all, that's all I need to look back on. Here's what, cool. I'm, here's what I'm thinking. Jack Campbell, the three of us, Red Lobster sponsorship deal and a live, live podcast. Oh, a podcast with Jack Campbell. While we're you know, all screw, crushing screw lobster. Sorry, screw it. Sorry, <laughs> let me let me re- retract that entire statement I just made. Not just dinner with Red Lobster. If I got the opportunity to sit down, have Red Lobster, crush beers, and do a podcast with Jack Campbell and the two of you guys, at that point yeah. I'd probably retire. <laughs> I, I, I think my my wish list getting my wish list is getting a little bit heavy here, but you know a man can dream. Yeah, no, um, boys, but like, what, like, what were your thoughts on, on Alex? Like, uh, I mean, he, he explained kind of the mentality of skating onto the ice in front of, you know, in front of fans. And fortunately fans were back in the stands. Um, you know, Alex, you had a great question about, uh, the, uh, the Carolina game where he was almost the e-bug and how it could go down as the Alex Bishop game. And, um, yeah. you know, how he, he almost wouldn't be able to focus at school because that would have been like a whole new level of uh, infamy for him. So never, your... never really looked at that. I never really looked at it from that angle until he said that. I, I, in, the, in the moment that he answered that question, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd want something like that happening to me if I was in school to finish my midterms. Either. Well, I mean, it's, it's tough to think of him as a, as a student when you see him suiting up for like the Maple Leafs and sitting on the bench, right? Like that's, yeah. that's not the mentality that you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, I think the coolest part about that whole interview was just the fact that, that you could tell that this guy was a diehard Leafs fan growing up too, which just must've made the experience so much more special. Yeah. Like when, when, when he goes out, goes out of his way to mention like, yeah, I got to do one-on-one with Austin Matthews for 45 minutes and then mention the fact that he stopped them a couple times. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, if I were in that position, I'd be bragging about the exact same thing. Imagine that. And, 
And even just like the warm reception that he got from like Spezza, Simmons, Campbell, and everybody else like that, the leaders of the team, I mean, they welcomed him with open arms too. Yeah. I mean, that just shows, I mean, everyone's talking about like the character of the Maple Leafs and the team itself, whether they have heart or not, whether it's in the right place. When a team that's not in the right place or have a heart welcomes somebody like that into the organization, despite the situation that they're in. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And and you mentioned it's all the, it's all the leaders. It's the veteran guys that have been there. You know, Spezza coming over, Simmons coming over. Um, you know, even Morgan Riley. I think he mentioned mm-hmm. Morgan Riley at one point. Jack Campbell, obviously, he's he's a guy that's been around a few dressing rooms, so he he kind of knows what what the whole feel is. I I thought the the coolest point that he made, and you know, I asked him where that jersey's gonna go, and right now he you know he's like it's hanging up in my closet. But, uh, you know, he's going to throw it in a frame and he's got his name from his, his, his uh, locker. And, man, that, like, there's the start to an absolutely beautiful man cave. And, like, you can see me. I'm a, I'm a guy that likes my memorabilia. I love my – I love, you know, putting shit up on the walls. But that, to me, like, if I – I'll be an e-bug for one game. I'll sit on the bench. You don't have to pay me anything. Just give me a jersey and a nameplate. I'll throw it up on the wall. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I, I, I am the exact same way. I've never played goalie in my life. Yeah, but I would yeah. sit on the bench and I would I would wear the equipment for a game for free. I'll lay in the I'll lay in the net and warm ups and just uh, let you guys take uh, uh, clappers at me. I don't like <laughs> I don't care. Let's go. Just for reference for me, I would probably has anyone seen the hockey episode of The Simpsons where Mel House is tied up in in the net? Yes. Yeah. That's going to be me. <laughs> I am. I could have been in the equipment the goalie. <laughs> I could have been an equipment manager, but I feel no. like I, I feel like I would be more like Ricky in the episode in the Trailer Park Boys special when he they go over to Sweden and he's playing goalie against Peter Forsberg, <laughs> and he find the, the challenge is that he has to make one save on ten shots on Peter Forsberg, and he finally makes a save on the last shot, and then Peter goes to the camera at the end and said, "Those guys are fucked." <laughs> I gave him. I I I, I felt kind of bad. I gave him one. I gave him one save because he was really struggling out there. But oh man, those guys are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh guys um our maple leafs we finally have some positive news to talk about uh this week and morgan riley signed an eight-year extension worth 7.5 aav um first off peter you like this signing and uh you know what do you see for morgan riley moving forward um i i i really do like the signing for a number of reasons um one specifically you basically look at the market for defensemen and who signed what you know um kill mccarr signed for nine seth jones signed for 9.5 charlie mcavoy signed for nine um yeah 9.5 sorry per year um you saw what miro heiskanen signed for Morgan Riley took a significant less amount of money, less than market value to stay with the team. Um, That to me shows that he's in it to win it. And it's really isn't all about the money. So that's a good thing. Number one, number two, he easily could have got like eight, 8.5 on the market. If he, if it was in that direction, um, the fact that he chose a less amount, he I think maybe what saved him is maybe you're going the full term. Maybe he took maybe a bit of a pay cut because maybe if it was like a six, five or six year deal, maybe that ink cap hit may have been up or may have gone up a little bit more. And three, 
just looking at the breakdown of his deal, the last five, the last three seasons in total salary, it's going to come out to six million. Sorry, the last four seasons, it comes out to six million. So in a team that's going to be in a cap crunch, it's going to be front loaded. It's eight, ten, ten, eight, six the last four, plus a modified no trade clause in year in the seventh and eighth year. And that's going to take him to around the age of where he's going to be 34 or 35. That way, if the Maple Leafs do decide to move on from Morgan Riley, obviously submits a list of 10 teams that I, because it's a modified no trade clause where, whether he uh, wants I, I can't remember if it's teams that he wants to make a trade to or doesn't want to make a trade to. Either way, it's a modified no trade clause. If in those two years they feel like it's over, they can easily move them. And $6 million at that point, if the cap is going to increase, is going to be really a really good contract to move. So, yeah, I, I really do think that this contract bodes well for the Maple Leafs. Maybe not so much right now because it is front-loaded, but definitely when – the, when the years become more increasingly evident that maybe he could be on the decline. That, that I think is really key. Alex, what are your thoughts on this deal? Um, I, I think it's a great deal. And, you know, I've got one tweet to share for people who are maybe worried about how this money's going to affect the Leafs cap situation moving forward. <laughs> Ooh, excuse me. And it's from Kevin McGran. And it goes like this. Look at it this way. Riley is at 5 point million average annual value right now. He gets the 1.2 million that gets freed up with Phil Kessel dropping off after this season, plus the 1 million in cap, the, the 1 million dollars the cap is going to go up in next year, plus a little bit more. The path was always there, Riley wanted to stay. So when you really sit down and crunch the numbers, I think you know, it, it, I don't know where that little bit more that Kevin's referencing in the tweet comes from, but even if you ignore that and you just factor in the cap going up by a million and the Leafs not having to pay that 1.2 million to Phil Kessel anymore, Morgan Riley's deal is going to increase the, it's, his deal is going to increase towards the cap by what, 300,000. And we're talking about a guy who has been here since the very, very beginning. Well, very beginning in terms of where this team's at right now. I mean, yeah. when he was a rookie, the, the core was still Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel. And he was at a point where he was, for lack of a better term, kind of serving as a veteran to Matthews and Marner in their rookie seasons. He was wearing an A at age 22. This guy has been here ever since the start of this, this green light, this, when, when the Leafs got the green light to commence the rebuild and do it properly. He's been here throughout the entire thing. And I think just in the sense that none of us expected Riley to come back between where the market's at for free agents right now, free agent defensemen, I should say, and the fact that we watched Zach Hyman walk to the Edmonton Oilers in this past offseason, I think it's just a pleasant surprise that Morgan Riley came back and that he took a hometown discount for it. And, you know, I, I think another important factor to consider is what losing Morgan Riley would have done to the dressing room. I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and pretend like I know exactly what goes on in there, but from everything that I've heard, Morgan Riley is a massive part of that room. And you heard, you saw the video of Sheldon Keefe announcing to the team at practice that Morgan was coming back and everybody was super jacked up for him. Tavares was talking. Tavares, the team, the captain of the team said that he looks up to Morgan Riley, who's younger than him, I'll mention. So you've got a, you've got a what, a 31-year-old or a 30-year-old captain 
looking up to a 27-year-old alternate. Austin Matthews said he couldn't be more excited that he's back. Everybody on the team had something good to say about Morgan Riley coming back. And, you know, I, I still see people out there that are, are, are sitting here and saying, nope, this is a bad deal because look at what the cap ramifications are going to be four or five years from now. And to those people, I just say, shut up. Just in, enjoy the moment. Morgan Riley wants to be in Toronto. He want, If the Leafs are going to do anything over the next decade, he wants to be a part of it. And to me, that's enough. And that's a guy that I want to bring back. And we talk about how the Leafs are in a bit of a culture chase right now and how they're trying to establish this winning mindset. And you got to have as many people as possible to buy in. Imagine what this does for future contracts to see someone like Morgan Riley, who like we've been saying could have gotten 8.5, 9 million, whatever on the market chose to take less than what he's probably worth right now and stay with the Leafs despite sitting through five first round losses in a row. He wants to be a part of the solution and I think that sets a great example for future negotiations and future guys to come through Toronto. So I am a big fan of the deal in many aspects. I am so glad that you said that, you know, it sets an example for future contracts with this organization. And, you know, this is something I've talked about for well, well beyond, you know, before we started this podcast was the Boston Bruins effect where you've got guys who will buy into this idea that, you know, more money is not going to get you more success, even though at the end of the day, when you retire, it's all about the money. Okay. But you know, you've got, you've got the Pasternak's, you've got the Bergeron's, you've got the Marchand's who have all taken team friendly deals. Uh, Chara over the years has taken team friendly deals. Um, you know, maybe the one, one exception. And we talked about this was Charlie McAvoy taking a massive deal, but that was the market for the defenseman at that time. Now you've got Morgan Riley in Toronto saying, you know what, 7.5. And here's a guy who over his career has earned 30 million plus. So, I mean, when it comes to money, it's not something that he has to worry about. That being said, eight years, 7.5 to the people that say that this is going to bring up cap ramifications in a few years, the cap is going to go up. There's, you know, four or five years, the cap is going to go up. You're talking about a, 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 you know, we talked about in our, our, our first story of the night. This is a business that's all about money. Um, the, the jersey logos, the helmet logos. Do you know how much money that's bringing in on a yearly basis? Um, the new TV deal in the, in, the, in the States. Do you know how much money that's bringing in? The, the fact that you've got a 30-second 30 uh, team in the league, you know, that raises banners for absolutely no reason. Do you know how much money that organization is going to bring in? The money's there. The cap is going to start climbing once they pay off all this debt from the, the COVID to the back to the already rich out of their mind owners. The cap is going to go up. Um, in terms of Morgan Riley, I mean, you guys said it. Like, he's been here since the Boston collapse. He's been here since, you know, Toronto hit rock bottom. And he's, he's seen every little bit of why he doesn't want to be in a losing culture again. And he signed with Toronto because he can see that there's a solution here. Um, and, and hopefully the core players do look at that and say, you know what, my next contract, I'm going to be, I want to stay with Toronto and I want to be a part of that as well. Um, but just some food for thought. Here's a guy who over his career with the Leafs, uh, he's played 581 games with 310 points. Okay. Um, He is sixth all time on the organ in the organization uh, in points by a defenseman. 
He is ninth all-time in games played by a defenseman, and he's 25th all-time in games played by any position for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That goes to show you what commitment and durability he has had over his career. Um, And for me, 7.5, I'm paying that all day for a guy like Morgan Riley. And there have been times where I've I've criticized Morgan Riley's ability to shoot the puck from the point and get it through and and be effective in in that area. That said, how many puck moving defensemen do you see skate like he does? And on, on top of that, I think after signing that contract, he had his best game against Detroit the other night. Yeah. And you know what? I'm glad that you said that because I was actually just going to bring up that since his 72 point season in 2018 19, his, his two seasons in between now and then have been a little bit below his standards. He hasn't looked. He hasn't looked quite the same. I think he. I, I'm personally. I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on um, with that with him medically. But I, I think that for a good portion of that, he was battling some sort of injury because he did not look himself. And you don't just lose your ability, right? No. So I. He hasn't looked great over the past two seasons, but I do think that this year he has looked a lot better throughout these first couple of games. Mm-hmm. He's got the highest puck possession on the team, in my in my opinion. I think he's got the highest Corsi rating. In my opinion, that's not what I meant to say. I'm pretty sure he's got the highest Corsi rating on the team. And he's just looked a lot more sound defensively, and he's looked more mobile. He's still – the offense is still like – you're right, Andrew. You brought up his – you know, how there are some criticisms to be made about his ability to get pucks in the net from the point and all that. But I I, I think – if, you're, if we're going to sit here and dissect all of Morgan Riley's flaws, I, I don't see much of a point in it because I think the good that he brings outweighs the bad by a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not, he's not immune to criticism, obviously, but there was just too many good things working in his favor uh, to earn him that contract. And, and you know what? I don't need a 70-point defenseman every, every year. Like, I think yeah. the way that he's been able to kind of learn some of the intangibles, it's the same with Austin Matthews. Like, we talk about how – yeah, you know what? He's not putting the puck in the net. Yeah, okay. Right now, right now, he's not putting the puck in the net the way that he did last year. That being said, this team is 14th in 14th in the league in hits, and Matthews is among the top like six or seven on the team in hits. That to me shows that he's he's putting more into the game than just focusing on the on the offense and trying to be a, a bigger part to the the entirety of of what the organization needs to do to get the job done. When it comes to the playoffs, we've seen that the offense is going to struggle. They need to find ways to to do all the extras, right? And and I think for me, if 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 Riley puts up fifty points in a season and and you know is willing to lay the body and block shots in the in the defensive zone, that's that's fine with me. That's that's worth seven yeah. and a half million. I have no problem with that at all. And and like you like you said too, yeah, I, I think I've been the, one of the biggest like critics of him shooting the puck and his ability on the power play, but we're still, I mean, you see a bit of that, but you see a little bit more confidence in his game, in his movement and everything that he's doing right now. So I think that's really big for him considering the fact that, you know, he is one of the leaders on this team. He has gone through a lot in the past. And I think right now he's setting that tone that, Hey, um, I, I mean, I'm hoping this would go well. If when Matthews and Martin needs their new contract being like, Hey, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm taking less. It, 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 I, I would hope that it would send an example for future contracts as well, 
because this is the mentality. This is the leader. This is the kind of player that should be a Maple Leaf from here on out. And I hope everyone is following suit. Yeah, and we see we see everybody criticize Nylander. Even to this day, they criticize Nylander. We don't want the, Riley to be another Larry Murphy situation where you know the fans and the media get on him so much that they push him out of town. Now mm-hmm. you've got him locked up. Show a little bit of respect for a guy who's been there and a guy who faces the media each and every night. This is a guy who goes out and talks to the media after every single game and is one of the classiest people in terms of you know, what he has to say about the organization and what he has to say about his players and taking responsibility for, you know, mistakes that he might make on the, on the ice as well. Find me another player who will go to his first press conference of the season and say, welcome back. Glad to see you all to the reporters who are there to ask him questions. You know, we read all these stories about players who get into it with the media and get into it with reporters and something, you know, most of the time, rightfully so there are some stupid questions being asked out there, but you know, for Riley to just have that, have that like instinct to, to thank the reporters for all. Cause he, again, it, it's not just the welcome back. You remember at the end of last season in their, in their exit interviews, he thanked the media for their hard work throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And you know, everything about him just screams class. So I, I, I couldn't be happier that he's back in Toronto long-term because I, I see him as a vital part of this team. Yeah, I know. I couldn't agree more. Um, speaking of Nylander, I did touch on him quickly there he made some comments about, you know, the, the team has got to stop feeling sorry for themselves and they, they have stopped feeling sorry for themselves. And that's why they've been able to play a little bit better hockey over the last couple of games. Is this, Peter, you talked a little bit about Nylander showing more of a leadership role uh, within the organization. Is this him showing more of a leadership role? Is this him kind of saying, you know what, enough's enough. Like this team needs to get back to what, what they know. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think for me, it's, you know, Nylander is taking on a, a different role inside that dressing room and, and for him to come out and say what he did, you know, this is a team that's been crucified for the first two weeks of the, the, the new season. Yeah. And I mentioned that after the game where they lost seven ones, like this team needs like, they need to stop feeling sorry for themselves. It's up to them and them alone to turn the tides and make sure they come in and play with an attitude, play with conviction, play with the mentality that, you know, makes a winning team, a winning team. They didn't have that in the first period. And I think whatever was said, I believe it was Wayne Simmons that, you know, stepped up in that, in that first intermission against the Blackhawks where, you know, he got them riled up. He got them pissed off. And that's the winning mentality that this team needs. And I think you saw that from everybody, including William Nylander, especially in that overtime game-winning goal, where, you know, that's – he's taking uh, – granted, it was three-on-three breakaway, but he's t- he's taking matters in his own hands. He's finding ways to help this team succeed. He's doing whatever it takes. Now, is would we like to see him, you know – is he probably going to lead the team in scoring this year? Maybe, maybe not. But it's his attitude and mentality that should be infectious with this team right now because he's in the perfect mindset and everyone else should be following through. And the fact that he said that comment, yeah. I mean, I wrote about how like we're seeing a difference in attitude and mentality playing with Tavares. That to me is a leader stepping up. That to me is a leader saying that, hey, if no one else is going to say something, I will. And that's the perfect thing to say. So, Alex Tavares leading the the team in scoring with seven points in through nine games. 
right there is William Nylander with three goals, three assists, uh, tied for the team lead in goals, six points through the first nine games. What 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 are your thoughts on his play so far and the team feeling sorry for themselves, kind of getting over that hump over the last couple of uh, games? Um, I, I I think it's important that he stepped forward and, and said that. And, you know, I, somebody had to say it, whether it was Nylander or Tavares or Matthews or Simmons or whoever, somebody had to step up and say, guys, let's figure it out. Like we, we, we got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Let's go out there and let's, let, let's win some goddamn hockey games. Um, I actually personally think that Willie's game on Saturday, cause I got to witness it live and in person. I would say that it was probably one of his worst games of the season, but that says a lot because he didn't look bad. He just, he, he wasn't a difference maker like he has been in most <laughs> games. And yeah. you know, in that case, I I'm, willing to say that William Nylander has held up his end of the bargain this year. You know, six points in nine games doesn't look great when you're, when you're second on your team in scoring, but I don't think anybody would be, well, sorry, I guess I should say it looks better than it should because everybody else is kind of slacking right now, but Nylander, in my opinion, he's been, he's been good this year. And I, 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 I'm not going to ramble too much because I, I, everything that I would say pretty much mirrors what I said last week about how every single time there's any sort of criticism towards him, he, he, he squashes it, you know, everything from him, not having hard, you saw him get into a little shoving match with the Chicago defenseman a couple nights ago, um, him not being good defensively. Well, guess what? He's playing on the penalty kill him, not being a leader. Well, guess up. He, guess what? He's speaking up in the dressing room. Like William Nylander wants to become an all around player in Toronto and he wants to be relied on for as many different things as possible. And that's the kind of swagger that I love to see in a player, somebody who wants to be the go-to guy and wants to be the one that teams earns to in, in, in as many situations as possible. So I love what we're seeing from Willie lately. Yeah. And don't forget that uh, last week, John Derringer also mentioned that he's uh, just a straight up beauty uh, when it comes yep. to interacting with the fans as well. So it's a guy that you want to have. Uh, he's a guy that you want to have in the room um, around the players. Uh, obviously, you know, willing to show the emotion as well. Um, you know, and for him to be able to do what he's been doing, kind of bouncing around a couple lines early in the season. Um, you know, obviously he's got chemistry with, with multiple players on that team and that's exactly what you want to see. So, I, I'm all for, for William Nylander, you know, coming out and saying what needs to be said. I think that's a great addition to his game is, is being that guy off the ice as well. Um, and, and it's showing his growth that for me, that's, that's what it is. It's showing his development and growth as a, as a player and as a leader in this, in this league. So um, we, we've seen a lot of emotion though, from the, from the Leafs this week. And I know uh, I tweeted it out. I loved after William Nylander scored that overtime goal. Give me, First, first off, give me three on three any day of the week because oh, yeah. that is some exciting shit to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Nylander scored the goal. Matthews got into a little fuck you match with a uh, Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> fan. And um, I loved every minute of it. And I know, Alex, you love the rivalry that seems to be building between Matthews <laughs> and Chicago fans. And it's so funny to be calling it a rivalry because I'm pretty sure Matthews has only played, I want to say, Actually, no. I, ne- never mind. I, uh, that that wouldn't be a fact. I was gonna say he's only played in Chicago twice, but I, that's that's not true. Um, I just love the fact that he's for whatever reason, like the two out of the last three times he has played in Chicago, there's been some sort of little fuck you to the fans. Um, and not you know, not that 
they've necessarily done anything exactly, but the first, you know, the first game in that wild back and forth, seven, six overtime win against Chicago, when he goes and he does the whole, I can't hear you celebration to the entire crowd. And then obviously his little, his little match with the, with, with the guys in the Hawks jerseys in the crowd there. I mean, you, you love to see him. You love to see that emotion. And that was the same game where there was all this emotion from Matthews. You know, Peter, we talked about it on the Leafs lounge this morning about how, uh, when Justin Hall took that unnecessary turn at the blue line as they were all entering the zone and Matthews went offside, you saw him throw his head back and then you saw him yelling out and calling him slow and calling out Justin Hall. And it's, you want to see that from Matthews because personally, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big fan of the whole take that, you know, call, saying, calling out hockey players and saying that they're not trying or that they don't care. Like I'll, I'll point out when they look flat and I'll point out when it looks like they're not invested, but I am never going to say a hockey player doesn't care because I, I feel like we said, I feel like people have said that about Matthews and you look at him in games like that Chicago game and, you know, for him to call out his own teammate and be visibly annoyed on the ice. I think that's, that's something we're starting to see a little more often from Matthews. And I, as much as we can get of that, I'll take it. Peter, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the whole Matthews emotion that he showed in that game? Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, a hundred percent. I loved it. Um, when you see that frustration, when you see that anger build up, obviously it's not that like he has nothing against Justin Hall. It's tough love. You know, you want to hold everybody accountable. You saw that anger and frustration that, Hey, you know, he, like I said about William Nylander, he's been invested with this team for so long. Like he's doing everything he can to win or everything he can to win. And yeah, the points may not show it, but the energy is there. And you saw them, that whole line buzzing against the Detroit Red Wings, they had a couple of grade A chances. It's just, you know, bad puck luck, nothing going in. But in that game against the Hawks, again, Matthews and Nylander and Bunting are at the forefront. They were the ones leading the charge. Granted, again, didn't find the score sheet until the end of the game. They still managed to make an impact. They want to turn the tides. They want to, you know, like make that impact. And at the same time, if the fans are going to cheer Austin Matthews, you know what? It, it, I would probably do the same thing in, in Austin's uh, shoes or skates for that matter. I would probably look at them and be like, whoa, let's go. You know, I would, I would like, if they want to do that, okay, fine. I'm going to, I'm going to talk back and be like, Hey, you know what? We are who we are. This is our identity right now. Go ahead and talk, talk to talk. We're going to walk the walk. We're now going to do our own thing. Now let's hope we see that consistency going forward. But that's the mentality and that's the anger and frustration that we want to see boiled over into every single game and see them play that with conviction every time. Me personally, I thought uh, his reaction to the fan was a little tame. Like I, like I know when I played, <laughs> like I, I, I threw a couple birds up there uh, when I was skating off the ice after I got booted from a game one one time. But um, yeah, I mean. I love to see it as well. I think it was the first time that I've actually kind of related to Austin Matthews, you know, obviously him being a superstar uh, forward and me being a mediocre uh, house league defenseman. Um, I haven't really had that relationship with him, Um, but uh, no calling out, calling out your teammates like that. I, I don't have an issue with it. I think, I think sometimes you need to, you need to be able to be, vocal with with your teammates on the bench and that that just to me shows good leadership it's a guy that's saying you know i'm doing my part i need you to do your part as well and and protect jack campbell be the guy in front of him um play that defensive 
you know, zone coverage that we're, we're practicing day in and day out. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you guys brought up Justin Hall because I was just looking at his numbers. Seven games this season. He's a dash seven. He's got two penalty minutes and he only has five shots taken. Um, I mean, this is a guy that's 29 years old. Like, time time isn't really on Justin Hall's side, especially when you have guys like Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, you know, waiting in the winds. And they looked fucking unbelievable against Detroit. The two of them together, that is that is a pairing that, I mean, if if you're if you're the least right now, you're gonna have a tough time finding a spot for for Justin Hall back in that lineup, and. You know, the eye test was perfect when it came to that, that, that pairing. Um, I know you guys have been kind of all over the place with, with, uh, you know, throwing these lines in the blenders. Um, You know, Alex, you've kind of focused a lot on, on the Fords and, and uh, Peter over here has, has uh, uh, some kind of, you know, love affair with uh, Timothy Lilligren, which is totally okay. Cause he, you know, he lived up to expectations and he looked like an NHL defenseman. Um, does that make Justin Hall expendable? And you, we saw him out, you know, as the seventh defenseman um, this past game against Detroit. But Peter, I'm, I'm going to throw this to you. There's a lot of talk that he could be an expendable piece when it's all said and done this season. Peter, be careful with what you say here because you're young. You, you don't know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, young, young face here. Um <laughs> I say I mean, that I say that to the guy who's like six years old or geez, seven years older than me or like, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. <laughs> it's too late to do the math, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I y- y- there is no other way to look at that. I mean, you know, TJ Brody got bumped down because Justin Hall was not capable of playing at the top four minutes for that game, or so far this season. Muzzin and Brody clicked instantly and looked really well in that game against the Red Wings. Travis Dermott, someone who was on the bubble at the beginning of the season when Timothy Lilligren was pushing him for that final spot, got bumped up with Morgan Riley. They looked pretty good. And now, I, would, I, I thought that maybe you could try to split up Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Maybe you could try to keep them as a pair and give them lesser minutes. The fact that they benched him or like healthy scratched him, to me, that was a major sign that his play is not good enough. Obviously, everyone else needs to step it up, but he was more glaring than other players on the ice. And we criticized Jake Munson as well, but it seemed like, you know, he got a different partner. They looked really good again. So maybe the fact that you sit him it's not a coincidence that you do sit him and everyone else is thriving. And that's not to say that, you know, maybe he was overworked. Maybe he just isn't fitting into that top pairing or top four role. Maybe you use him as a third pairing defenseman. Maybe he's more suited for that right now, but the way that Lilligren played, how, how can you take him out? And especially if they, if Lilligren goes back in the lineup and he excels during the golden Knights, you take him out and you put Justin Hall against Tampa Bay. Because let's face it, they have three tough games coming up. If you put Justin Hall in any one of those games and Timothy Lilligren plays better than him, you can rest assured that he's going to be sitting up in the press box for the rest of the season, maybe even move his contract. Because you don't want $2 million on the books for seventh defenseman that's not going to be playing a lot. That's going to be really tight. So if you are looking to move him, go ahead and move him because – 
you have your top six set. The only thing hindering you is now that who are you going to call up in the event that, you know, Sandine, uh, Lilligren, Dermot get injured. You need to just, you need someone to step into the lineup and Justin Hall could be that guy. You don't have anyone else or not really someone more experienced that you call up from the Marlies, but you know, you, you have someone like Justin Hall already there. And to me, they lack that depth to have to make a call up, but in the off season, or if they get an extra defenseman that can be a better replacement than Justin Hall, then so be it. I know you'll be all over this one, but in the off season, maybe you find a way to get uh, Topi Niemela over because, man, he is absolutely oh. tearing up the league over there. But um, Alex. Justin Hall, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, I said Morgan Riley probably had his best game against Detroit. I, I, even though they gave up four goals, I think it was Jake Muzzin's best game of of the season. Um, and I, and I would argue that you know Travis Dermott had one of his better games of the season. He looked more confident with the puck. Is it crazy to think that Justin Hall, you know, might have one or two more games with the Leafs in him before? the possibility of, of getting moved? I don't think that's a crazy thought at all because, you know, at this point, I don't think the Leafs are really concerned about playing guys just to save face so they don't look bad. And obviously, you know, trading Justin Hall after they, they passed on Jared McCann specifically to protect him and keep his $2 million salary there. Um, it was, a, it was, it's looking like one of Dubas's more tough decisions at this point, but at the same time, I would much rather have a management group that, recognizes when they fucked up and changes and, and tries their and you know, like do, does what they have to do to get better rather than doubling down on the decision. So no, I, Justin Hall has been the worst defenseman on the Leafs this year so far. And you know, if there is a, if there is a different suitor for him and the Leafs can get something in return for him and provided Timothy Lilligan still looks good. I don't see any issue with, with, with moving on from Justin Hall. And, you know, we, we, I think a lot of us were sort of blinded at the start of last year because it looked like he was having a breakout season at the start of last season. He looked really good alongside of Muzzin, and that was one of their best pairings for most of the year. But it became more and more obvious as the season went on that it was Jake Muzzin that was carrying Justin Hall on that pair. And, you know, we saw that the other night with or with the fact that Jake Muzzin had his best game of the season and he's had his own struggles to start off. But the difference is we know what Justin or sorry, uh, Jake Muzzin is capable of. We know the type of player that he is. And at, at, it, for a guy like him, you have to rely on him figuring it out. And all it, it looks like it, it looks like he has given a different partner. He needed a different change of uh, change of scenery with someone else to play with on that defensive core. And, you know, if playing Timothy Lilligren more often and playing him on that pairing with Rasmus Sandin helps the Leafs win, I don't see why they wouldn't keep doing that. Like, are, are you really willing to just die on the hill that Justin Hall is making $2 million as a right-handed defenseman? And because of that and that only, you're going to keep him on the team at the expense of someone like Lilligren who's looked good in his two games so far? I, I, I don't see any benefit in doing that. And sorry, it was three games so far because I forgot he was in the lineup for that Pittsburgh game. But I just... I, I, I do think that it's about time to start thinking about that, whether or not you can move on from a guy like Justin Hall. And it, it's sad to say because he has a really feel-good story, the way the Leafs kind of pulled him out of nowhere, essentially. And he, he, he developed into uh, – he was playing a top-four role for them last year. And I, I think he would find success somewhere else. But at the same time, 
you just got to you got to be making the best decisions for your team at this point. And Timothy Lilligren has been waiting in the minors. He's been waiting for his chance. The Leafs could never really get him one until this year. And I think he's at a point now where he deserves constant looks in the lineup because if you don't, then well, what's the point of having him there? And Kyle Dubas wouldn't have said the comments that he made about Rasmussen and Timothy Lilligren in training camp or even at the tail end of last season having an opportunity for them to come into camp and steal a spot. If he didn't have it, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't have confidence in them. He knows that, you know, both, well, more or less, more so Lilligren than Sandy, because Sandy's seen NHL experience. Lilligren's paid his dues. He's definitely earned the call up. He's definitely earned the opportunity. And the fact that, and again, people are going to call him a bust because he's been in the minor for four years. He's been in the minor since he was drafted. So being yeah. 22 years old, at a young age, still hasn't hit his potential. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of time left before you can even label him as a bust. But even so, if he's going to be that top four defenseman, hey, yeah. g- give me that every single day. Big, big injury. Set- Sorry, go ahead, Forbes. No, I was just going to say, big injury coming into his draft year too, Lilligren. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that mono. Kind of set yeah mono. Is, that's yeah. right, mono, yeah. So You know, that like – Exactly, Peter. I'm so glad that you mentioned the fact that he's been in the AHL ever since he was drafted because nobody would be saying this about Lilligren if he spent two seasons in Sweden and then came over and he was just sort of wrapping up his his second year in the AHL. He was he's been there right he's been there since the start and just because his progression in the AHL didn't go as quickly as Rasmus Sandin's, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he doesn't have serious talent and can't contribute at the NHL level any any less than Sandin can. Absolutely. Worth noting too that for years the Detroit mentality was to to develop players in the HL before they even made the NHL level. So, you know, guys like Henrik Zetterberg started in the AHL, guys like um Pavel Datsuk started in the NHL or AHL. And don't don't think I'm sitting here saying that Lilligren's gonna end up being like an Eric Carlson. I'm oh, far I, from that. I'm saying he's he's a guy that you know, give him the give him the opportunity to, to develop him well because that's been a problem for the Leafs for a number of years. Is that they have they don't develop their own own prospects the way that they should be, and then we trade them away and we end up getting you know seeing an Alex Steen go on and, and win a Stanley Cup with St. Mm-hmm. Louis, whereas he could have been with the Leafs had we you know not wanted to trade for Lee Stepniak. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I will also note couple things first of all for making player comparisons um i see a little bit of nicholas cronwall in in rasmus sandine yes i, I see a guy who yeah. can move the puck really well put some points up but he can also lay the body for a guy that's not overly tall i mean what we we saw him what he, he stood up blake wheeler six foot five blake wheeler who tried to hit him and he ended up on the ice yeah like i i love the, i love that sneaky little physical side that sandine has to his game and the other thing i wanted to note is that um, – what was the other thing I wanted to note? I just had it. <laughs> I'm going to throw it right back to you for a second, Forbes, while I, while I figure this out. No problem. I, I did want to mention you guys were talking about suitors for Justin Hall. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings um, on insider trading, TSN Pierre Lebrun noted that both Drew Doughty and Sean Walker are out long-term. Drew Doughty uh, obviously dealing with a – a uh, knee injury. Um, he, he'll miss six to eight weeks. And then Walker is out for the season with a torn ACL and MCL. The cap space that they will be given with placing Walker on long-term IR gives them about 2.65 million in space. 
worth noting that Justin Hall is right in that range. So possibly, you know, something could be worked out there. Alex, you remember what you're going to say? So I, I, I right did, back. and I'm sorry. I got to jump right in here before I forget again. No problem. I think the other thing that makes me warm up to the idea about a potential deal involving Justin Hall is the fact that the Leafs have the perfect seventh defenseman in the minors in Alex Biega. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the kind of role that mm-hmm. Biega has played in. I'm pretty sure, like, he had bottom six minutes in both Detroit and Vancouver, but he was never really a full-time 82-game a season NHL, an 82-game season NHL regular. I... I, I might be talking out of my ass and saying that, but I know that he's always been kind of a depth defenseman on teams like that. And the Leafs have already sent him through waivers once he didn't get claimed. So if the Leafs were to move on from Justin Hall, I think they'd be, they'd be comfortable rolling with Timothy Lilligren in the lineup. And if someone goes down with an injury, Biega is, he, he's a fine option for a seventh defenseman. So worth, worth noting too can, that, sorry, I was saying, I was going to say worth noting too, that Joseph Dusek has, has paid his dues as well. And he's a guy that could potentially, you know, add something to this, uh, this lineup mm-hmm. as well. If Biega, let's say didn't work out or they didn't want to put him through waivers once again. So there's another op- option for them as well in the, in the AHL. I'm even kicking myself right now because I totally forgot the fact that, you know, we had Alex Biega, we have Joseph Dusek, but even Brennan Menel, for yes. being a puck moving guy. defenseman too, he looked pretty solid on both yeah. sides of the puck. Um, granted, preseason, um, you know, people are going to say preseason doesn't matter, but when you're a Brennan Manel, you're you're auditioning every single game and every single chance that you get. So he really impressed me during those games, and I would take any three of those players ahead of someone like Carl Dahlstrom, who just looked like Justin Hall 2.0 some of the times when he was on the ice. So. Yeah, I, I was completely oblivious to the fact that we see when I said that, you know, we don't really have anybody to step up. We really do. Um, I, I It just completely slips my mind there. Yeah, no. It, it, so there is options. I think, I think, you know, we're not completely wrong in thinking that Justin Hall could be on his way out at some point. I mean, just I, the way he started the season, I know he played top four last season. I just don't think he's a top four guy and, and maybe he needs to be in a market where, you know, you're, the, the scrutiny isn't as high as it is in Toronto. Uh, we all know, we all know what it's like in here. I mean, we all write about the team, so <laughs> we're, we're part of the scrutiny, but at the same time, you know, we hold these guys accountable and, and uh, you know, he's just, he, he's not having the season that people expected him to uh, when they, they held on to him and, and let McCann go. So, um, boys, that's all I've got for, for Maple Leafs talk. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we, uh, we kind of kick the can on this episode? Um, personally for me, I am commencing a new series. You like how I use the word commence there to sound like a scholar (laughs) instead of start. Uh, I am commencing a new series for the hockey writers called Maple Leafs, uh, prospects weekly. So I, I, I'm hoping to get that. I mean, I already, uh, I wrote the first one. It should be published by the time that this uh, uh, this pod hits the airwaves. I've uh, I'm essentially just going to be doing a quick prospect roundup on guys who are sort of making headlines over the uh, o- over over the week that uh, that that goes by. And in my first piece, I talk a little bit about Topi Nemala, like we mentioned here. I touch a little bit on Josh Hosang and Kirill Semyonov and Axel Rindell, who. Um, I all, I think is a pretty underrated Leafs prospect. I think he's got, he's, he's had some pretty good production over in Finland for his age and he's another right-handed defenseman. And he just transferred from one of the worst teams in the league to join Topi Namala on Ulan Karpat. So those two guys are going to be teammates. Uh, also Alex Steves had a really good debut in the OHL 
uh, or OHL, sorry, AHL and um, Pontus Holmberg doing really well in Sweden right now. So if you're, if, if you're listening right now, I just spoiled my entire article, but I'm not going to say anything further. So go <laughs> ahead and go ahead and check out what these guys are doing. And I'm looking forward to this series. Yeah, was, I, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, I, yeah. I know you mentioned it on our Slack channel, and uh, right away I was I was ready to jump on and, and read what you had to say. But, uh, Peter, anything you wanted to add before we close it out? Uh, nothing really. Um, working on something on why we should still be optimistic with this team. Um, nope. Take that with what you will. Can't yep. be optimistic. Sorry, nope, Peter. Never, never. Well, okay, well, are you, fired, I'm, uh, trade Dubas. Fire Dubas, trade, Fire Keith. Hey, tell me you're drinking while you're writing this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, can't be yeah. can't be optimistic anymore, you know. Nope. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, before we close it out, I I had something that's not hockey related. I saw it come across the 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 good old Twitter verse um, just uh, earlier on today, but um, bullpens. In, in baseball oh for years, for years, they've been called bullpens. Um, <laughs> PETA has an issue with them being called bullpens. And uh, they now want them to be called, uh, shit, I forgot what it was. It's Arm the barns. Arm barns. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't take it seriously. The arm barns. <laughs> I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. <laughs> All I'm going to say is I think we're at the point where even vegans are embarrassed by PETA. <laughs> like, like uh, what, what are they worried? Are they worried about offending cows? Uh, with words? <laughs> I mean, like, <sighs> listen, I'm all for, uh, listen, I'm all for, you know, the protection of animals and against animal cruelty. I like, let's face it. I'm totally for that as well. But give me a break. This is a slogan and a phrase that's been said for years. It's a slogan. It has no impact on anything. I'm telling, I'm telling you, like, so we won't even, even, be able to call... even, even the phrase beat a dead horse. They wanted to get rid of that. Like, like it's a horse. Is it, dead. You're not, you're not, you're not going <laughs> to like, if you're actually going out to beat a real horse, something is really uh, wrong with you. Like it, it's a phrase. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Guys, soon we won't even be able to call dog walkers dog walkers. <laughs> They're gonna be uh, <laughs> dog pals or something like that. I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I just I I had to ask because that that one that one kind of caught me off guard when I was reading it in the the arm barn. I just couldn't. <laughs> oh, everybody! Okay, you know everybody would. The ratio to that was absolutely <sighs> hilarious. Oh, the lie. ratio was unlike something I <laughs> and uh, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I also do want to point out that if it wasn't PETA that was legitimately suggesting this, I would kind of be on board with calling bullpens arm barns just because it sounds hilarious. Could you imagine listening to a, a Blue Jays broadcast and you hear Dan Shulman go, and warming up in the Blue Jays arm barn is Jordan Romano. I, I wouldn't, I honestly would not be able to take it seriously. I, I, like, I would I, die every time. Uh, the Blue Jays uh, are going to get some guys warming up in the arm barn over there. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I thought it was, uh, honestly, I thought it was like some kind of onion uh, article or something like that, like on the beaver tent or something. When my buddy sent me the post, he sent me the actual post from PETA on Instagram, and I swear to God, I thought it was a meme. Yeah. I I liked it, and I said, (laughs) LOL, and then I went back to the chat later on, and I realized that it was actually from PETA, and I was like, wait, hold up a second, like, but I wasn't surprised at the same time, like, this isn't the first time they've tried to 
do something like that. So. Yeah. No, no, just insane. Um, boys, another great week. Uh, we got a lot of hockey to look forward to over the next, uh, next week before we meet again. Um, as always, thank you guys, everyone for, for listening to the podcast episode 59. We're coming up on 60 very quickly. Um, as always, you can join, uh, join us on Twitter, follow Peter at, uh, P Barrichini. Uh, you can follow Alex at Hobson A16 or myself at Andrew G Forbes. You can also follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D. Hit us up on Instagram as well. Or head over to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you download and listen to your podcasts and uh, download our episodes, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you can do to help us out. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Check us out there. We just released uh, our interview with John Derringer. Great interview. Um, you know, a little mix of music and hockey, a lifelong Leaf fan. So that's a great content coming out there all the time. So subscribe there as well. And uh, boys, until next time. Um, have a great week. You too.